All right, well, good morning. If you have legs that um, allow you to stand, I know we've been standing and singing and all those sorts of things, but let's stand up to read God's word together. What I'd love for you to do is read along with me. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version this morning, and we're going to read Psalm 148 together. Uh, We have just been doing a series through the Psalms of Praise, and I thought this would be a good bridge between uh, what we have been doing and what we're about to launch into with our Behold series, Psalm 148. Don't rush the reading. I'm going to read it nice and slow. There is, if you can see the font on the screen, um, the same text up there. But read along in your Bibles. Before we start reading, let's pray. Lord, you're about to speak, so give us ears to listen. You have something to say to us this morning. And so, Lord, will you help our hearts be receptive and give us eyes to behold your glory. Amen. Take note of the exclamation marks in this psalm, if they're in your Bible. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills Fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints. For the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, take a seat. I want you to notice just three things. This is not going to be all about Psalm 148, but I want you to notice three things which dominate this psalm. One is, praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. But I want you to notice that praise here is not a suggestion. Praise the Lord is commanded. Praise the Lord is commanded. In one sense, we think of praise being an invitation. But this psalm tells us, no, we're actually commanded to praise the Lord. 
Why? Well, that's the second thing I want you to know. In this psalm, praise is deserved. We praise because we're commanded, but we also praise because praise is deserved of God. All the way towards the end of that uh, psalm, let them praise the name of the Lord. Why? For his name is exalted. His name is exalted. His name is high. His name is lifted up. His name is in the spotlight. His praise is deserved. And the last thing I want you to notice about this psalm, Psalm 148, is that praise is relational. Praise is relational. Verse 14, he has raised up a horn for his people. A horn is a symbol often in the Old Testament of of victory. And you might think of the situation in in an old movie maybe where there's been a great battle and and the end of the battle is getting close, it's tense, who's going to win? And then the, the victorious army finally overcomes their enemy and someone lifts up a horn and they blast this horn and and the people celebrate. It's a symbol of victory and often salvation. And it says, he has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints. Praise is relational. We might think that because praise is commanded of God, that it's just something that we have to do. Well, we're here, we might as well praise, because that's what God wants us to do. Well, it's more than that type of command, because it's also deserved. We don't just do it because we have to, we do it because He deserves it. But not only does He deserve it, we praise because He's our Father. And we are His children. Praise is relational. The series that we're about to launch into is called Behold. It's based on a book. I had enough foresight to pick up the book off my uh, bookcase at home this morning and bring it with me to church. That's where my foresight ended. I failed to pick up the book from underneath my chair when I walked up here (laughs) and bring it up on stage. That's all right. It doesn't really matter. Thanks, Jeff, but that's fine. The book is called Behold. It's meant to help us fix our eyes on God and see Him for who He truly is so that we might do what Psalm 148 commands us to do. To live a life of praise, beholding the one that is deserving of praise, who we are in relationship with so that we can praise. And so I hope that you will join with us definitely every Sunday as we move through this series over the next 11 weeks. But I would really encourage you to join with a small group of people midweek who are also going to be reading this book. I know lots of our core groups that exist already are doing this and they've started, they've they've looked at the introduction or they've read that together and in the coming weeks they will begin looking at the various chapters and texts as we go through it. If that's something that you would like to do and you aren't yet part of a core group, can you please come and see either myself or Tim and we can help connect you with an existing core group. I also heard this morning that there is a new core group launching on a Friday. They're going to meet over lunch here. Um, And it's going to run at least just for this series and maybe 
Beyond that, if you want to keep meeting together and that's something that you'd love to do, you can work that out, all right? But I think that's going to be happening. If you would like to join that group and you have availability Fridays at lunchtime, uh, come and see Tim. Tim will help set you up with a few more details. Um, all right. Psalm 148. I mean, it's just full of exclamation points. You know, um, praise the Lord. Hills, mountains, old men, young children, young adults, fish. It doesn't seem to matter. There's no one off that list, right? When you read Psalm 148, everyone. Would have been a very short psalm if he just said, hey, everyone, praise <laughs> the Lord. I love the fact that he spells it out for us. We're usually a people who need things spelled out for us. But what are we missing? What are we missing? Because the psalm, like Psalm 148, is filled with, with an extolling sort of language of just, you know, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I love the fact that as we, we I looked around the room when we were singing, um, I, didn't, I didn't choose songs, I didn't have any point in you know, conversation around what songs we're going to sing this morning, but we just sang a song. Great are you, Lord. Praise him. Right? My bones are going to praise him. And I could see people in a sense of their posture even of just wanting to worship and pour out. And, and that's what we should be like. But, but what are we missing? Because so often this world seems so dreary to us. Why are we so often entertained by lesser things than God? What are the things that we are most inclined to fill our eyes with, fill our vision with? We're called to behold the majesty of God. And so often we settle for cheap knockoffs. One of my favorite quotes by one of my favorite authors who now, well, he's not dead, he's more alive than we are, but. He's not on this planet anymore. C.S. Lewis wrote this in a book called The Weight of Glory and Other Addresses. It's a combination of things that he spoke about. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis, which I love. It says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I think he nailed it, right? We're missing something when we walk through this life and we have the majesty on high before us. And we so often fail to see him, to behold him, really, for who he truly is. We, we have a failure to behold well in our life. And that's what this series is is going to help us do. 
that we might go on a journey of learning together what does it mean for us to live our lives beholding the glory of God so that we might live a life of Psalm 148 filled with exclamation points. Behold, behold, look at the glory, right? But what is beholding? What is beholding? Well, like all um, good things, we start with an Oxford Dictionary definition. It's pretty underwhelming. The Oxford Dictionary defines behold, the word behold, as to look or see someone or something. Yeah, whatever. All right. What's beholding mean? Means you look at something or see someone. All right. It's pretty broad, isn't it, really? But if we go a bit deeper, if we dig a little bit deeper into that word, the modern word behold, let's do a little survey. Who thinks, not talking about this upcoming teaching series or in your small group this week, leave that out of the equation, who thinks that in the last week, in normal conversation, you might have used the word behold? Anyone? Someone did? Very good. Very good. I don't remember the last time that I walked into the room and said, behold your beds, children. <laughs> you know. Or I got home from work and said, dear wife, behold, your husband has a home. <laughs> I don't remember that. We don't tend to use the word behold much in modern language in Australia at least, um, maybe the same ways it would have used even 100 years ago or 80 years ago. But if we go back even further with that word behold, it's really um, an adaptation of an old English word called behelden, which we, we use even less, right? Hence, it's called Old English. Um, but behelden means to hold, to hold, to have, to occupy, to possess, to consider. And, and so behold gives us the idea, it, it, that concept helps us to understand maybe why this word is used in our English translations to specify something special about the way we look at something. It's not just looking, it's the way we look. It's not just seeing, it's the way we see. It's to see so that we can occupy, to, so that it possesses something in us, that it, it captures something about our attention. So in the English language, there are a bunch of words that can be used instead of behold. If we want to get tricky, we can say they are synonyms. Some people are now thinking about English high school class and starting to twitch a little bit. Um, it's just one word that you can use in the place of another. And you might have noticed that if you've already started in your small groups, your core groups, looking at this series and looking at some of the passages where behold is used, depending on the translation that you read from, you might not have found the word behold. Right? If you use the New King James or the Old King James or the ESV, 
then more than likely you would have seen the word behold. Or if you use the Christian standard Bible, like I often do, it will use the word see. But you will start to find that in different English translations, different words are used. So here are some other words that give us, I think, a bigger idea of this idea of behold, beholding. All right? And these are words that you might use more normally in your conversations with people. Words like catch, hey, catch this. Have you ever said that? Yeah. Or consider, hey, consider this. Or contemplate. Or discern. Distinguish. Observe. Perceive. Watch. Witness. Right? They're, they're all words that you can use to help round out this idea of beholding. They're ideas that together help us to sort of grasp what does it mean when we're called to behold the majesty of God. It's looking at Him in a way that captures your attention. That, that He might occupy occupy some space in your thinking and in your life not just a casual glance so over the coming 11 weeks or so we're going to focus in on one particular verse that uses that concept that modern translators of the um, of the bible whether that's in the hebrew of the old testament or the greek of the new testament um, Modern English translators have looked at the idea of that original language and have said, you know what, the word behold or something similar is a good English word for us to be able to try and capture that idea that we need to really focus in on what is about to be said. There are actually hundreds of other places, we're going to choose 11 but there are a hundred other places, hundreds of them in the Bible that use this same idea. So I'm going to give you just a few, three of them this morning, uh, just three that we're not going to be looking at in our main series, but just to draw your attention to them. And all the rest in the series are going to be from the New Testament. So today I'm going to do three from the Old. All right. So the, the things that we're going to look at initially, three ways that we can behold, and here are the three, I'll give them to you up front, uh, we can behold so that we can see clearly. We can behold so that we can see distinctly. And we behold to see a vision. All right, they're the three that we're going to focus in on this morning as a way of just whetting our appetite to what we're going to be looking at in this next series. All right, so let's go back to the first one. Three ways to behold... The first is to see clearly. Psalm 119, verse 37. Why don't you grab it in your Bibles? Psalm 119, verse 37. And we're going to look at to see clearly. I'll give you a moment to find it. All right, reading from the English Standard Version. You're going to notice that it doesn't use the word behold here in the English translation of it, but I want you to look for the concept of beholding. 
Psalm 119, verse 37, says this, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Read it again. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. This is the first way that I want you to focus in on thinking about the word behold. How do we behold God? Well, one of the reasons why we want to behold God well is we want to see clearly. We want to see Him clearly. We want to see our own life clearly. We want to see this world clearly. And we do that best as we behold the majesty of God, the glory of God, the praiseworthy nature of God. And here the psalmist cries out to God in, a, in almost a cry of desperation. Why? Because I think he knows his own eyes. Do you know your own eyes? The way that your eyes are so often, and my eyes, so often distracted by worthless things. As I hear this cry of desperation from the psalmist comes up to God. Turn, turn, please God, turn my eyes away from worthless things. That's not what I want to fill my vision with. Not what I want to fill my eyes with. It's not how I want to see this world. You don't need me to tell you that there are worthless things to watch in this world. I'm not just talking about the latest Netflix show that everyone's binging on either. There are just worthless things to fill your vision with, to fill your eyes with. And so the cry comes out, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. But that's not just the end of the request, right? Lord, don't help me not to look at that. But the psalmist then says, but give me life in your ways. Right? So it's not just, I don't want to look at that. It's what do I want to look at? What do I want to see clearly in this world? What do I want to fill my vision with? The psalmist says, I want life. I want life. Is that what you're wanting? Right? Is that what you want? Is there sort of this deep yearning in your heart to sort of say, I want to know what real, full life looks like? Isn't that so often the underlying drive for what we turn to worthless things for in the first place? I feel like I'm missing something in my life. I feel like I'm missing out on something in my life. I feel like I, feel like I need something to enhance this life. And so my eyes start roaming for things that might fulfill that and I, all of a sudden I find worthless things to dwell on. Can I encourage you, if you're longing to see a life fulfilled in the way of the Lord, in the ways of God, then make this prayer from Psalm 119 your prayer. That we would daily moment by moment, be people who echo the same cry of the psalmist. Oh, Lord, please turn my eyes from worthless things and give me a vision of your ways. Let me see your ways as satisfying. Give me life in your ways. What a great prayer. 
That's a way that we can behold the glory of God. Keep that in the back of your mind over the next 11 weeks as we spend a lot of time in the New Testament being asked to behold. But one of the reasons we're beholding is because we want to see things clearly. We want to see life clearly. All right, that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Not only do we want to see things clearly, we want to see things distinctly. Distinctly. Turn to Psalm 63, verse 2. Psalm 63, verse 2. All right, it says this. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. Now, that word sanctuary might seem a bit odd to us. Again, not a word that we use in normal language, most of us. Certainly from an Old Testament, the, the way the psalmist was using this, he was referring to um, the temple in the Jewish culture and life, the center of their worship, the center of the symbol of God's presence amongst them as a people was centered on a building, a temple, and yet within the temple itself was a place called the sanctuary. Um, we use the word sanctuary now mostly when we talk about animals. We might say we're going to look at, you know, go out to Oakvale or something, or we're going to go out to the Hunter Valley Zoo. It's an animal sanctuary. It's a place set aside for the well-being and safety and longevity of the life of those animals. They're protected there, right? It's a sanctuary. Um, but the way that this is being used is this was a, a place where God could be experienced, where God could be interacted with to some degree. There were lots of rituals that you had to go if you wanted to go into the sanctuary. You had to make sure that you were cleaned up and holy and sacrificial processes had occurred and ceremonial washing had occurred and the right type of priests and all sorts of things. You read through Leviticus, number, you'll get a good picture of if you can make it all the way through. But here the psalmist says, hey, God, I've, I've looked upon you. I've been in the sanctuary. I've been where you are, God, and I've seen you. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've looked upon you. And what did he see? He beheld the power and the glory of God. That's what he saw when he saw God. Power and glory. He saw God distinctly. He saw the distinctives of God. And that's another reason why we beheld, why we behold, why we look with such intent purpose towards God, because we want to see Him. And not just a vague sort of ethereal or a really vague sort of concept of God, like, oh, this is what God is, and I can just make that up for myself. This is who God is for me. No, the God that has revealed himself. The God has said, that has said, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. This is my trustworthy nature. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the God who was and is and is to come. We want to look to that God and see God for who he says he is, not who we define him to be. 
Oh, this is God to me. Who's God to you? And God says, let me tell you what God's like. We look to Jesus because Jesus was able to tell his disciples, hey, if you want to see the Father, look at me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You don't need to wonder what's God like. Behold Jesus, right? Look to Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith. Beginning of Hebrews chapter 1, we won't turn to it necessarily, but the beginning of the book of Hebrews starts by saying, hey, listen, God's revealed himself to us in many different ways over the years. Prophets that have come and priests. There's been images and symbols, but in these days, in these days, he's revealed himself to us through his son. So we want to see and behold God clearly by looking to him and not all the other things that are on offer in this world. But we want to see him distinctly. We want to see him for who he is. We want to look to Jesus. We want to see his power. We want to see his glory. We want to see all the things that make up God. And that's what we want to fill our vision with. So that's to see clearly to see distinctly, and now the third one. We, we want to behold in this series and beyond, we want to make beholding a part of our everyday lives because we want to see a vision. We want to see a vision. Psalm 17, verse 15. Have a look at that one. Psalm 17, verse 15. One of my favorite—I oh, say this all the time. One of my favorite psalms, but this verse in particular, I love. As for me, the psalmist says, "As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness." When I awake, when I get up each morning, when I start my day, when I walk through my morning, as I hit my afternoon, as I sit down in the evening, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. The psalmist is saying, I want to turn and see a vision of who God is and that vision will satisfy. That vision is the vision that will satisfy my heart in my yearning to find what is the fullness of life like. And again, what's, what is it that you're pursuing? What is it that my heart, my eyes, so often will look for to find some satisfaction? And the psalmist here is setting a declaration for his own heart. When I lie down at night... I lie down knowing that I am beholding, I'm, I've looked to and beheld the face of God in all his righteousness. The fact that God is righteous means that he is right, he is holy, he is pure, he is set aside, set apart. And right at that point, your heart, my heart does this, I know, I just know how far short I fall short of that glory. He's righteous, I'm not. How can I look at that sort of righteousness? 
But again, he says, look to Jesus, right? Look to Jesus, the one that we've stopped and paused. Thank you, Tim, for drawing our attention to that again this week. And we're going to do it again next week and the week after because we're forgetful. Because our eyes do wander to worthless things and they need to be redirected to say, no, look back to Jesus. Look at what he's done. The righteous one died so that we, the unrighteous, might become righteous. Right now, this morning, you're just going, Chris, I'm far from righteous. If you know Jesus this morning, if you've absorbed and taken on everything that he's done for you, that we've recalled in these symbols this morning, then guess what? One of the great miracles of the gospel is this. You sit right before God this morning. You are righteous before a righteous God and you can lift up your eyes like the psalmist does this morning and say, as for me, I will behold your face in righteousness. And when I wake up in the morning, I'll be satisfied. That's all I need. I just need to see the face of God every day and I'm satisfied. That's what will fill the empty places in my heart. That's what will fill the empty spots in my experience that I just go... Yeah, I've got disappointments in this life. Life hasn't turned out the way that I had dreamt it might when I was young. I wish that my life looked different, but I've got Jesus. I can see his face. The righteous one smiles at me. I often think of that point in John, the disciple's life. He'd walked with Jesus as a young man. He was the disciple that Jesus loved. He'd experienced what it meant to walk beside the Son of God, to light a fire beside the Son of God, to have breakfast on a beach beside the Son of God, to, to be in awe of the miracles of Jesus, and then Jesus dies. And then he sees the joy of the resurrection, but then the, the emotional roller coaster of just going, Jesus is back! And then 40 days later, he sees him go up in the sky and disappear. And his heart was downcast. And then he lived an entire life trying to serve this Jesus that he loved with the best that he had to offer. And as an old, old man, he finds himself exiled on an island, distant from everyone, feeling like maybe... What has my life come to? What have I done? What have I offered? Has it mattered? And there, as he was worshipping on his own, one Sunday morning, Jesus, his old friend, appears to him again. And he turned around and he saw Jesus and it says that he just fell down. You can read this opening chapter of the book of Revelation. He fell down on his face and just was in fear of his life. I mean, why, should, why did he have anything to fear, right? This is Jesus, his old friend that he'd walked with, that he'd eaten breakfast with, that he'd travelled with, that he'd talked with, hugged, cried with seen miracles with and he sees him again and he falls down on the ground and he's in fear. And what does Jesus do? Do you remember? He reaches at his hand and puts it on his shoulder and he says, John, don't fear. Don't fear. Stand up. It's me. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. John, it's me. 
And this morning, that's what Jesus is doing to you. I'm sure where you are, where you walk through the door this morning, whether you feel like you just you can't even look up. Jesus, I can't look at God. I can't look him in the face. This morning, we have an invitation for you to lift your eyes and behold Jesus. To see the righteous one who will satisfy. To see clearly, to see distinctly and to see a vision of what Jesus can be and is in your life. The one who will reach out his hand put his hand on your shoulder and say, do not fear. Do not fear. You can know me as a friend. And so I'm inviting you for the next 11 weeks to come with us as a church on a journey to behold Jesus, to behold the King. And that we might, week by week, take out Psalm 148. You might do it in your quiet time. You might do it in your core group. You might do it in your reading as you head off to bed or when you wake in the morning and be reminded, this is the way we behold. Praise the Lord. Praise Him, you mountains. Praise Him, you trees. Praise Him, animals and fish and beasts and old men and old women and young men and young women. Praise Him with instruments. Praise Him with harps and clashing cymbals. We can keep going to the other Psalms. Or praise Him in quiet walks with a gentle conversation. But praise Him because we've seen Him. We've seen Him. And not just in a casual way, we've beheld Him. We've been captured by who He is. We've seen Him clearly. We've seen Him distinctly. And we've been filled with a vision. A vision of who Jesus is. So please, join us for this journey. Join a small group. If you're a part of a small group and you like going every third week, go every week. All right? Change the rest of your week so that you can be there and say, I want to behold God with my brothers and sisters. All right. There's more to be said, but we'll take 11 weeks to say it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you are a God worth beholding. A great God, a glorious God, a majestic God, a powerful God, a righteous King. And you've invited us, you've commanded us to praise you, to see you for who you truly are. And so, Lord, we ask to give us eyes to see it and a heart to receive it a mouth to speak the praise. But for the worthless things that we've turned our eyes to, even in this last week, Lord, we again, we join the psalmist. We cry out to you in desperation. Lord, turn our eyes from worthless things. Fill our hearts with a vision of your ways. We want to see your power and your glory. We want to see you distinctly. We want to wake in the morning and be satisfied with who you are. So give our hearts a vision of you. We pray all of this because you deserve it. You command our praise that you are our Father. We are your children. You are in relationship with you and we want to say you are a good, good God to us. So we thank you in the name of Jesus.
Amen. There is going to be a time, I think, of reflection now. It doesn't have to be about just what was said. It could have been a psalm. Maybe it's something that you've been reading already in the book, in the scriptures, the book that matters most. Um, I know I've heard one person this morning already share with me something that they were reading this morning or during the week and they've been encouraged by it. I encourage you, if that's been you, step up to this microphone. Stand nice and close to the microphone. All right? Kiss the microphone. Don't spit on it. Don't tap it. All right? Get really close to it because we want to hear what it is that God has been encouraging your heart with and we want to be able to, at the end of it, say amen. Amen. All right? So we're going to have a little while just to do that. Um, Reuben whispered to me three times, three times before I got to the stage, once before the service, twice up here. Chris, 10.45. Make sure you finish at 10.45, all right? So I've got time in the bank that I'll withdraw on another occasion. Thank you.